Welcome to Talkie Talk. Uh, this is a mini podcast where we're talking about our, our inaugural class to the Talk of Fame. Just short, uh, short description. Uh, we're wanting to expand our Talk of Fame to include a bunch of personal movies for us in our top fives to kind of populate our uh, populate the inductees, so that it wasn't just uh, at the time wasn't just the Matrix and Stripes as the greatest movies of all right. time. <clears throat> now we have three members. Yep. <clears throat> So we're all selecting a bunch, and uh, last week I said I was going to talk about Fargo, and now I am. <laughs> so uh, Fargo, 1996 Coen Brothers movie. Um, it is, I think, almost a perfect movie for me. And um, in Talk of Fame credentials, when we talk about... Uh, if you scan success at first, um, you got... Uh, this starting a revolution of smaller movies coming through Hollywood, being really successful both in awards and audience. Um, Fargo was made for seven million dollars, which seems really small, and it made seventy million dollars or sixty million dollars. So huge returns on that. Really high for an R-rated movie too. Yep. Yeah. And it is a it is a hard R for a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. In the movie. <laughs> And uh, I think it's really influential in its aesthetic, too. Um, I'm just... When I was watching it, I watched it uh, last night, really struck by the whiteout of the movie. Yeah. The, all the most gripping cinematography and the most striking stuff, you have almost a complete whiteout in these super, super, super long-distance shots. There's this one where uh, cars just driving on the road, and, you know, usually it would be centered, but the car is on... Snow, which is the actions on 10% of the screen, 90% is the gray sky. And it kind of tracks the car from the beginning to the end. This kind of slow burn, you know, really focused on dull colors, almost no color, and really straight to the point. It makes when color appears on screen multiple things that much more impressive too. Yeah. specifically the color red yeah <laughs> yeah the red against the white is is really striking yeah and you see it uh, a lot there's you know spoiler warning I guess there's a famous wood chipper scene yeah where you have one of the criminals kind of painting this white snow with this red but it shows up a lot of times you have someone who gets shot in the head and it do you see the blood against a white refrigerator red against white is something that recurs and uh, yeah, and even it's not red, but one of the scenes that's like truly horrifying is the kidnapping scene when he like pans to the door mm-hmm. and he's standing on the outside. Just seeing something that's not white or gray outside is like jarring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some things that I, I assumed in, in rewatching it that was really uh, interesting in watching it is, you know, that starts with the, uh, with the character kind of knitting and watching TV and kind of laughing along to this little morning show. And uh, I thought you'd just see, like, the burglar peer in. But you see him walk from the snow onto her deck and, like, peer in and, like, look around, look look at another window and then smash the window. And she then, sees him, like, the whole time, too, yeah. right? Which is horrifying. She's just, like... Like, real confused. She's no pun intended, but she's just frozen in place yeah. right there. Um, something that's important that I talked about is it is cresting this wave of kind of independent movies being... Very culturally significant, but uh, especially awards significant. And you know, I'm an awards junkie, so I'll, I'll take that tact. This $7 million movie got nominated for seven Oscars and like big ones picture, director, actress, which is one, supporting actor, 
screenplay, which it won, editing, and cinematography. And uh, I think the year before, 95, you have Braveheart, Apollo 13, Babe, some of the biggest movies of that year. You know, sort of the top 10, you're going to have a couple in Best Picture. Um, this year, 96, you got English Patient, which was the big, epic you know. Yeah, winner. Yeah, it won. It was set in the desert. It won everything. It was one of those sweep years. Um, but then you also have uh, Jerry Maguire, which is also a big movie. But then you got Fargo, Australian movie Shine, about a pianist, and uh, Secrets and Lies, a like Mike Lee, British, yeah. low-key movie. I think you can see the influence of uh, Fargo at the Oscars. After this, you see a lot of that stuff. Like the year after, the full Monty gets nominated for Best Picture. Um, and you got a whole bunch of independent studios that are now focused on the Oscars. Yeah. You're using that stage for these small movies. But at the same point, you know, it, I think it's important. It's also so entertaining and f- really funny. Mm, it's hilarious. Um, and really upsetting the violence in between the the comedy of everyday boring life intercut with this murder that happens, series of murders that happen in this small town. Um, as far as a innovative crime movie, um, I wanted one of my top five to be a crime movie because I really love reading those kind of books and watching these kind of movies. It's interesting uh, dissecting kind of American or modern life through crime, you know, seeing what we're reflecting back. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the first movies that I can think of, and you see influence in some later movies, of the reality of crime, where criminals are often very dumb. Mm-hmm. And sometimes cops are lucky. Yeah. And that's how things get, get discovered. A lot of the time, things um, aren't solved. Just because cops are unlucky or the criminals were just a little smarter, cops are dumb. This is the first one I can think of where the criminals make so many mistakes, the cops make mistakes too, and in the end, it gets solved because, um, spoiler alert, Marge Gunderson is lucky. On a whim, she just drives up to Bear Lake, you know, she's, she's uh, kind of heading back to her home, and she just spots the, the, uh, you know, the Sierra car that she's looking for. Um, calls in backup, but goes to take a look at it, and that's the you know climax of the movie. Is she just had a hunch, and she catches the criminal? Yeah, Do we run through the gauntlet a little bit. I'm curious. Sure. So yeah, I, th- I think David covered a lot of things in the gauntlet already. So I don't think we need to rehash. Uh, you know, entertaining uh, story, uh, certain certain aspects, but. Uh, I like. I do like to ask the the question of of those involved with the film. Is this anybody's number one movie? Like, is this the greatest Coen Brothers movie? Because I think there's a lot of people who would say it is. So I think there's some slam dunks there, and in there is why I wanted to talk about it here rather than talk of fame. So Francis McDormand for Marge Gunderson is the. I think after this became like a new archetype mm-hmm. for. It, it, it's one of the most iconic characters in movie history. I mean, it just, yes, yeah. I believe so. Yeah. You know, it's in the li- movies in the Library of Congress AFI Top 100 Movie of All Time. Yeah, I think that that performance is so central to that, um, and it's it's even more not shocking but surprising where I I know I know this about it, but still, you got 45 minutes go by without really seeing her character at all. Yeah, not even referenced or anything. 
Like even in, you know, Silence of the Lambs, you know, it's famous Anthony Hopkins, one lead actor for 15 minutes. He is, it's kind of like the third man where they're talking about him before he comes up. He's a presence. Whereas in Fargo, she just like, just shifts to the cop's take all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. There's no reference or anything and you're just with this character. Um... So I think definitely it's, you know, she's an amazing actress. She's done a lot of stuff and is very relevant this year for three billboards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's definitely her number one. Um, William H. Macy, I think definitely his number one. Yeah, um, I would say so. Especially of, with creating an archetype for yeah. a character. One of the most unsettling things to watch is his squirmy performance. In the car dealership scene when she they come to interrogate not, not They don't come to interrogate him. Mm-hmm. They come to ask him like a couple casual questions. But he acts like he's being interrogated. Yeah. As part of criminals are often very stupid, which is why crimes get solved, is he is not meant to be a criminal. Right. But circumstances, you know, he put himself in that place. And not just like him being interrogated is squirmy, but just him being browbeat by his father-in-law or by everybody around him. By, you know, one of his, his first scene is like, people don't want to pay for this true coat on this car that they're buying. And he's getting browbeat by just this guy who says, like, I'm not going to pay for it. And he's just browbeat by life. Mm -hmm. I think it's his number one. Um, Peter Stormare is number one. Yeah, just Salmari. It's Peter Salmari. He's the... uh, I'm making him sound Italian. (laughs) But he's the uh, hulking, unstoppable force. Kind of like a proto-Anton Chigurh. I know Coen Brothers didn't write that book, but I think... Um, you can definitely see him being in that that uh, same lineage of you know in um, Raising Arizona. There's the you know motorcyclist from hell. Yeah, it's kind of the unstoppable force in Barton Fink. Like John Goodman mm-hmm. is kind of like that character. He's more talkative in Barton Fink, but right. you kind of see that character type through a lot of their movies. Yeah, um, Buscemi, I think is the best thing he ever did. He's he's great as like a, another Rat Fink kind of character. Really funny, but really, um, you know, just a low life. It's probably his best movie. I'd probably argue his best performance, though. I was going to challenge you and ask you if you thought that he was he's better in this or Boardwalk, um, or are the two too different? Oh, it's tough to compare movies and TV for me because Boardwalk has like what we do. (laughs) Boardwalk like how many episodes? Like probably sixty something episodes. Yeah. So it's like you have sixty hours versus. I'd probably I'd probably take Reservoir Dogs honestly. I I rewatched that about a year ago, and I Mm -hmm. I think he's he steals that that movie as far as acting goes. But Mm -hmm. not not taking anything away from his performance in Fargo. I love in Fargo his desperation of like this was supposed to be easy, and like he's just like. You see his rage at like why is this so inconvenient and why is this not working at all? And he's just got a series of mistakes and things that happen where he gets shot and then like he has a problem getting his car out of a parking lot and just like is wildly striking out of everybody. Right. He gets uh, He kind of mirrors Macy's character a lot in that that way. Yeah. It's like nothing right happens. And it's it's ironic because when they first meet you know, they're off on the wrong foot immediately. Like, Chef Proudfoot, or Shep Proudfoot, puts them together, tells William H. Macy, meet at 7.30, tells the other guys, like, 6.30. So they're waiting for an hour. Yeah. And Macy's like, but he told me the wrong thing. And uh, Buscemi's even like, I don't understand this. Why are we doing this? And they debate for, like, five minutes before he's like, and 
fuck it, we'll, we'll do it. <laughs> you can tell, like, he's kind of, like, this is more complicated than it's going to be, and he's kind of has himself to blame for getting in it. Yeah. And the main thing I wanted to do it for a mini episode, rather than talk of fame, is the Coen Brothers question. Coen Brothers is so many things to so many different people, because they've mastered a lot of genre. You know, some of the best comedies of all time, like Raising Arizona, are great. Um, they've had straight, you know... Uh, Oscar-winning, another crime classic, No Country for Old Men. They got a bunch of stuff that people love. Um, Miller's Crossing. Like they're kind of one of our most important directors right now. Certainly, yeah. There's, so, like, there's a, re- I mean, it's reasonable to think that at some point there could be, you know, at least a half dozen Coen Brothers movies in the talk of fame. Yeah, I mean, Martin makes so important. Many critics is like the best screenplay of all time. So. Right. Yeah, they're such important directors. So We're talking it, about Fargo, which I would put as my favorite Coen Brothers movie, I think, and the best, probably. Um, I think I would agree with that, too. It's, it's definitely in the conversation, which for them is really all it has to be, right. to be mm-hmm. sure. super important. And yeah. I also think No Country is a damn near perfect movie, too. Yeah. There's like no... Um, I don't think there's any fat on either movie. Even in Fargo, when you have... like. It's probably, when we talk about favorite scenes, it's a scene I didn't understand and didn't really like when I first saw it, but the more times I see it, it's so fascinating, is the scene with, like, uh, Mike Namagita, where there's, like, in Minneapolis, and his weird little scene, where he's, like, trying to come on to Marge Gunderson and tell him about his wife who had leukemia. Oh, yeah. But then afterwards, like, talking to another classmate, like, they were in high school together, Mm -hmm. like, they say, oh, he never married. He kind of, like, stopped this girl, but he lives with his parents. And it's just like, what a weird little world detail they put in there. <laughs> it's unconnected to the c- plot completely, but really flushes in, like, people not understanding the world. And I think it's like, people grew up in one world, and it's a completely different one now. Mm-hmm. Same theme, I think, is in No Country for Old Men. Just, you know, where the title kind of comes from. Of These people grew up in the world was one way, and new people are, you know, it's a new world. Mm-hmm. Marge Gunnarsson even says, like, at the very end of the movie, I think it's one of her last lines, she got Peter Stormare in the back of her car after apprehending him, and she just shakes her head and repeats, like, I just don't understand it all. It's like, I just don't get it. And that's the climax. Yeah. yeah. I have one question for David and one question, a follow-up for Chris. Question for David. Is Fargo not the Great Wall from 2017? <laughs> Chris, <laughs> could it be? <laughs> I would need some time on that. Yeah. It's the toughest case for that question, which is why it's good that it's a it's, it's, it's well, in, Yeah, I, I think that It's a Wonderful Life was a little bit more difficult. For, <laughs> is this movie the Great Wall? <laughs> well... Welcome to the Talk of Fame Fargo. Yeah. yeah. Love that movie, and it's got the hallmark I love for Talk of Fame movies. Every time I come back to it, there's something new I appreciate. Nice. So, welcome. And it was really tough. After I watched it, Allison called me not to do a Minnesota accent afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Even talking about it right now, I just want to go into it. Like, <laughs> Don't you know. Don't you know. You betcha. Is it in the Talk of Fame now? You betcha. You betcha. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> What's our next inaugural movie, Brent? The next inaugural movie, uh, so I guess there are multiple reasons we might want to put a movie on our, you know, automatic entry list, and uh, it might be for, uh, just because we don't think the conversation would be interesting, but for me it's opposite. I just want to make sure this movie gets in, and I feel like me automatically greenlighting it is might be the only way. So we're putting in 
the greatest action adventure movie of all time, Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. All right, nice. So I'll I'll be I'll be putting that in next week. Yeah, yeah. You, you'd, you'd have to flip me. You have to flip me. You have to flip one gets, of them, and that just gets us to a two-two <laughs> right. split. So yeah, we're we're gonna go ahead and, and take care of that. Nice. Before that becomes a question, like a long time from now, after we have an episode after TJ nominates National Treasure, where people are just like, uh, this is weird. Why isn't this in here? Yeah. So, next time. I might I might take umbrage with the best action adventure movie of all time. But I will do that in a week. Yeah, there. we'll be talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. Yep, yep. Bye. <laughs>